um, I was I told Brother Denton when we were over there last time, um, we stayed, Carrie and I stayed and talked to him till like 1130. Um, but I told him we're not, I'm not hoping that a single person from their church comes to our church. That's not what we're doing there. We're hoping that we can bless them. I hope that you go, you know, I know that for us, I think it may be even because we have been so blessed with such a great group of young people and uh, kids who love the Lord. I think it can be easy maybe for us to even take that for granted. I think it's easy for us to kind of, well, this is this is good. Um, but I don't know that we we re- we recognize all the time what a blessing it is to other people to one, just see young people who are willing to even stand up in front of a, a group of people and act like they like Jesus. <laughs> that's that's rare in most churches. Um, I, we have a somebody who lives right down the road from us uh, who goes to a different church and their their son. I see him every now and again, and he's you know teenager, and I feel bad for them. I mean, just what a knucklehead. You can just tell he's a knucklehead. But we have such a good group of people. But then beyond that, then to be inspired and encouraged and to feel the presence of God. We come here and we are spoiled. We are spoiled because we feel the presence of God so frequently. But then I think back, and Dad would, Dad would know this better than me. I think back to all the years when I was younger and I would go into church and not feel anything for week after week after week. And it's not about just feeling, but to feel the presence of the Lord. How many want to feel the presence of the Lord? I, I tell the Lord that. Lord, I, I believe you're there. I know you're there, but I need to feel you too. I mean, I am emotional. I do have, you know, I'm, I'm a human and I need to know you're here sometimes. And so um, I'm grateful for the work of the Lord in our life. And um, I'm looking forward to, uh, to what he's going to do. So just be praying about... Um, be praying about the homecoming. We're really reaching out to leaving out. We're trying to encourage people from all over the area and encourage anybody that you come to, especially, um, you know, obviously Sundays they're going to their church, but Saturday, uh, Friday night, they can be a party. I think Saturday is going to be a great day as a, as a whole day. Um, and most people aren't going to be doing anything that day. So we're not stealing from anybody's church. We're not, we're just going to encourage people in Christ. Amen. Good. Two or three of you are going to do that. We may have to have an amen class in this church again. We used to say amen a lot. I don't know. I don't know what happened to us. Uh, look, at, um, look at Luke chapter 5. And I don't intend to, to keep you real long today, but uh, this thought has been, has been just kind of gnawing at me, and I, I want to share it with you. Uh, Luke chapter 5. I want to read verses 1 through 8. And I want to get kind of a get a hold of what of what this picture is and, and what, what God's doing here. It came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the, by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Now when they had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draft or for a catch. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. And when they had 
this done. They enclosed a great multitude of fishes, and their nets brake. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both ships, so that they began to sink. And when Peter, Simon Peter, saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Jesus, I ask you, you would help me to deliver what you have put in my heart to share today. Lord, that you would be glorified by it. Let me give you the praise and honor that you are due, Jesus. And everybody say amen. amen. The Lord has really been working something, and I'm trying to keep it in. I, this doesn't happen too often, because when we're preaching, and we, often we're going from one thing to the next, and, and God will give us thoughts, and we build on those. Um, but I'm trying to keep something in, because I feel like God's given me something to, to share at homecoming when I, when I speak. But this, there's this thought, this overriding thought that is encompassing really most of my free thought that, I, that I'm thinking about the Lord. Most of my devotional time, it just He keeps leading me back this direction. And I'm going to try to stay off of what I'm trying to get to, but I'm going to try to set you up maybe over the next few weeks with a few things to think about. Uh, I was thinking about this. When I've thought about the men that Jesus chose to be his disciples, my predominant thought has been that they were a cut above the rest of the people. I don't know if you've put thought to that. Has anybody ever thought about what were the disciples like? That, why did Jesus call the ones he called? Anybody ever thought that thought? And I, I've thought, I think, you know, in, in my mind, I, I think back, I, I think I've just pretty much thought, well, these men were a special group of men. They were a, a cut above. They were something specifically about them that drew Jesus to them. And then I begin to think more recently, and I shared with you uh, several, a couple of months ago, that God's not looking at your skills and saying, hey, you've got some things that I can use. Everybody say amen. God's not, God doesn't need your skill set. You're not bringing anything to the table. Whatever it is that you, uh, that God is doing with you, using you for, ministering through you in, is not because you have, whether it's the ability to sing or the ability to preach or play an instrument or, or to be a teacher or to be a good father or a good mother. You didn't have the, that skill set and so God said, okay, I'm going to do this for you. But instead, we see the opposite. We see that we have surrendered to Jesus, and Jesus is putting in us the things that we need to do the work that he wants done. I, I absolutely, and I need an amen here, because if we, if we don't, then i got to preach on this the next couple weeks. I absolutely believe, then, that it is not about what I possess that God is looking at, but my willingness to be used by him. That is what is important. Now, because of this, I, I mean, I thought of the disciples maybe a little superhuman. Obviously flesh and blood men, but men who were a little different, superior. They were better than other people. Not vulnerable, maybe not quite exactly like every other guy. And I think that this thought is wrong. It's the wrong thought. It's a thought I've had that I need to repent of. I don't mean to imply for a second 
that, that these men were wicked, vile, filthy men. I, I don't think they were pedophiles or rapists or murderers. I, I do not believe that either. But that really is irrelevant because God takes a murderer and he writes two-thirds of our New Testament. So the reason I am pressing this issue is we simply do not know their past, but we do know a couple of things. One of them was a tax collector, which tends to lead toward extortion. That's how they made their money. Anybody ever watch the old cartoon uh, Robin Hood and the Sheriff of Nottingham? Now he's collecting taxes, but he's also, he's got to give the taxes to the prince. But whatever he can extort out of them is his living. Well, this is what a tax collector was doing in that day too. See, well, but Matthew was a, Levi, he was a little bit better tax collector. Well, maybe. But I don't know that. What I do know is he was a tax collector. I know two of them were mercenaries. Two of them were hired fighters. That's what they were. Now, I don't know what that looked like. Were they fighting on the side of good? I hope so. I, I would, I would, th that would be an awesome thought. And I know that four of them were fishermen. Has anybody ever heard the term swear like a sailor? Well, this is true in that day too. And we know it's true because after three and a half years of walking with Jesus, Peter gets in a situation that he is uncomfortable about and his mouth begins to tell everybody around him that he's a sailor. Literally. So the reason I say this is that it's not to beat up on the character of the disciples, but the truth is that they were like any other man on the planet without Jesus. What were all of you before you came to Christ? What were you? Everybody needs to know that. Sinners. Every one of us. There was nothing redeemable in me. There's nothing redeemable in you. And in fact, if you look and take your life and if you could separate Christ out of your life, Currently, what is redeemable? The apostle says it this way. There is nothing good in me save Christ. We have to be careful because we can feel as though that maybe even as we begin to serve the Lord that we become better. Now, obviously, I, I'm, I don't think that we're just rank sinners who live vile lives. We live victoriously, what Pastor was talking about today, conquering walking in victory. Those things are true, but they're not true without Jesus. It's not me that's doing that. Brandon said up here, uh, Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not me. I'm not the one doing the living. If I'm the one doing the living, you know what I'm going to be doing? I'm going to be the one doing the sinning. But if I'm following Christ, then that life begins to change because of His work in me. And this is very important. They, every man outside of Christ is a sinner. But each of these men do possess something that I do believe makes them unique to their day and I believe would make them unique to much of our day. And that was that when Jesus called, they answered. God wasn't looking at their, at their, uh, their lack of sin. In fact, we see right here very clearly at the end of this chapter... What does Peter say of himself? He says, Lord, depart from my boat because I am a sinner. 
well, he's just self-deprecating. No, I do not believe that. I believe that he is saying very clearly, Lord, I can't have you. I can see pretty clearly what Peter is without the Lord. He's a denier. He's unfaithful. He's a foul mouth. I know what Peter is without Jesus. And this is all these things that we were. Paul says, so were you these things. These, these were things that were working in each of us. But what they did have that was unique, and this is what I believe the Lord was looking for, and this is what I believe the Lord still is looking for today, that when he went to them and he said, I want you to follow me, you will find in each of the accounts of, of those being called to follow him, they did not hesitate. They followed. And this is a really important point. God is not interested in our pedigree, your personal achievements and holiness. He's not interested in whether, uh, whether or not that you know the rules and the Jewish law and all the, the things that make you more religious and more holy than other people. He's not interested in that, but he is interested in whether or not you will call him rabbi. That really is it. Pastor, when we got here, gave, God gave him a, a, a fresh revelation that I know has been stirring in me and Dustin. I know we've talked about this a lot. It's, re, it's making me rethink things because we thought somehow that this salvation, even us, I think, we, we could probably be lumped into this. We thought that somehow this salvation thing was about us getting saved and then we kind of go on and do these different things. Whatever your sphere of influence is, whatever your denominational degree is, you're going that direction. But the truth is, this has always been about him becoming our rabbi. That's what it's about. And it never stops being about that. It never ceases to be about Jesus being my master, him being my teacher, it doesn't ever change. So when Jesus is looking for his disciples, I think it is clear that the one thing he is looking for, not their perfection, not their sinlessness, Peter was sinful, we can assume all of the others were too, not, not their abilities, not their skill sets, but their willingness to respond when he spoke. This is the same criteria that God is looking for in us today. But something further that stands out in this text suggests to me that American Christianity is doing it the wrong way. I think we are doing something from the very outset in almost every denominational group from the, from the uh, Baptist all the way to the other end of the spectrum of the apostolic Pentecostals. I think every group is missing something. And I have probably been a part of this too. I want you to look at the ninth verse. And I want to read the next three verses right there. For he was astonished. And all that were with him. At the catch of the fishes which they had taken. And so was James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, fear not, 
for from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. How much time span does it appear in the scripture? Now, we don't know this for certain, but just the way we read the scripture, how much time elapsed do we see from the time that they hit the shore to the time that they followed Jesus? Instantly. It doesn't even, now maybe they did, but it doesn't even say they tied down the ships. I'm assuming James and John looked at Zebedee and said, hey dad, you got this because I got to go. If Jesus hit the land and started walking, they had to go with him because if he got out of sight, they could not follow him. I want you to think about that for the next month. If he got beyond their vision, there would be no way for them to know where he was. They did not have cell phones. They did not have email. There was no security cameras that they could check to say, hey, which way did Jesus go? This is a man who so far is walking in, in pretty much obscurity. He hasn't done a lot of great miracles yet. Yes, there certainly would be people that would know him. But his renown has not grown to the point where everybody would recognize him by faith. So if they don't keep him inside of their vision, he will get away from them. I think this is still true. I think this fact is still true. That if we don't keep Jesus within our ability to see him, he will get away from us. This is a real danger for us. You can read each of the accounts in the Gospels uh, of when Jesus called uh, the disciples to follow him. Some of the disciples, it does not say what that looked like. Uh, but for each of those that you find, you're going you're gonna to find something that is mysteriously missing within the call to follow Jesus. And here it is. Here's what we're doing wrong. Jesus never said, repent and follow me. Never. We just read it. And you can go to all the other, all the other accounts of this. He does not say to them, repent and follow me. He just says, follow me. Has anybody thought about why? Why would, why? I mean, John's preaching the gospel of repentance. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. We do know that Jesus, when he is preaching, he is preaching repentance. So does that mean that he doesn't want men to repent and that these men were perfect and didn't need salvation? Oh no, we've established they needed salvation. Is repentance then unnecessary? No, repentance is a part of, of what God is trying to do in us. Absolutely. But I want you to think about what's actually happening. Repentance is a part of our lives, our conversion. But Jesus did not tell them to repent because the very fact that they were leaving everything to follow him was evidence that they had repented. They had done the repenting that needed to be done in order for them to be his disciples. What was the repenting that needed to be done? Well, we need to confess all of our sins. No, no, that's not what repentance is about. Here's where we're missing it. We want to get everybody up here. We want to say, hey, you need to all repent of your sins. But I don't believe repentance has to do with sin. The scripture says, confess your sins. Different word. 
Different message. Confess your faults one unto another that you may be healed. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. We just read Romans 10, 9, and 10 the other day, which says that with the heart, confession is made. That's about confession. Repentance is something completely different, but we have attached sin to repentance. And what we have done is we have watered down what it actually means to repent. We've changed the impact of the message. Repentance is not something you can do with your mouth. Confession is something you do with your mouth. I go to Carrie and I say, Carrie, I am sorry. I have wronged you. I did wrong to you. I should not have done this. I did this. That would be confession. I come to the Lord and I say, God, I have been unjust. I know, I know you know this, but I have done things that are wrong. And I, I am sorry for that. I want you to cleanse me and make me new. That's confession. But repentance is the word metanoia. And it literally means to change your mind. So Jesus does not look at these men and say you need to repent. John the Baptist is preaching to them you're going to have to repent. But he's not talking about them coming down and confessing their sins. He's talking about a change in their behavior because they've changed their mind about God. That's what repentance is about. That's the message of repentance. Repentance, I believe, is a continual work in us. We want to repent of the things that we know are wrong with us. Here's how we want to do church. It's an American gospel. We want to repent of the things that we know are wrong with us. But if you start following Jesus today and you keep your eyes on him and you continue to follow him every day, you're soon going to discover some things that are wrong with you that you did not know. We don't... So I can get up to you and preach to you about how you need to stop fornicating. How you need to stop lying and you need to stop stealing and you need to stop cheating and you need to stop bearing false witness and, and conceiving murder in your heart. I can preach all of those things to you and I can say to you, you need to repent of these things. How many of you want to repent? Everybody lifts our hands. And then the message is, listen, here's what you need to do. Ask God to forgive you. And you'll be cleansed. But that is not repentance. Repentance isn't something that can be done here. Repentance is done in the following of Jesus. And the problem with it is when we reduce repentance to just being about sins that we know, then we no longer even believe that we need to repent about things as we begin to go further and further in our relationship with the Lord. So I begin to follow Jesus and then there becomes clear some things about maybe the way I'm treating Carrie or maybe the way I'm interacting with somebody at the church or the way I'm doing things in general that Jesus says, this is not right. Oh Lord, but I already repented. I already did that. I did that a long time ago. My repentance is done. 
Repentance is a continual work in us. Because there's going to be times where we begin to realize things about us that need to change. Is anybody, maybe this last week, anybody gutsy enough to say, I realized some things I need to change just in this last week. I didn't realize they were there. And you know what? I realized I need to repent of some things. Because this is what happens. This is literally what happens within us. And this is the blessing of it. What I think is amazing and beautiful about this is that the, the qualifier to following Jesus is not a perfect heart. The, the qualifier to following Jesus is a heart that's willing to repent at any moment. That I see that we're walking along and I see him going this direction. And, and I, you know, I, I don't really want to go that direction. I, I just don't, I don't feel like that's a direction I want to go in. Lord, I don't see why we have to go in that direction. Can you realize there's a need for repentance in my life? I love you, Lord. That's not in the question. I'm not walking in grievous sin. I just, you want me to go there and I don't want to go there. Well, we're going to have to come to a meeting of the minds. The problem is his mind isn't going to change and my mind has to. That's the issue. We can keep going to the Lord with the same things over and over and over again and say, Lord, I need you to change your mind about this. And he's going to say, no, 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 you need to repent. I don't need you to confess to me something that I get so sick of. And this happens happened to me so many times through the years. Somebody will come to me and say, you know, Pastor Rodney, I'm sorry I dishonored you. Okay, one, I, I, who am I? What are you worried about dishonoring me for? Okay, we're, we're trying to do some respect thing. Okay, fine. I, that doesn't help me. It doesn't make me feel any better. If you're going to keep doing what you're doing, please don't come to me and say sorry for dishonoring you. And I, I think I'm just a natural human. I know that's got to annoy the Lord largely. A lot more than it annoys me. Don't come to me and confess things that you're not willing to change. If you're going to follow me, you're going to have to be willing to change everything at the drop of a hat. That at any moment, I say, Rodney, I want that changed in you. You have to be willing to say, yes, Lord. It's, it's just two simple words. Just yes, Lord. But I don't feel like it. I don't want to. That's not how I feel about it. All of these things are just clear signs of the need for repentance in our lives. Amen? What I'm concerned about is that churches have focused on repentance, but have somehow separated this from following Jesus as Lord. Let me ask you a question. Is it possible to repent without following Jesus? I tricked all of you. Because every one of us would say, no, it's not possible to repent without following Jesus. So you don't believe you can change your mind? Of course you can. World, worldly people repent of things all the time. You have a, a, an alcoholic whose life is being destroyed. Now, it's not super common because it, there's no victory outside of Christ. But I know of people who have been bound in alcohol. How many know of people who have been bound in alcohol in the world who stopped drinking? They repented of it. Anybody know anybody? They repented. They changed their mind about it. I know people who used to run around and cheat on their spouse, and they repented of that. They no longer do that. We, see, we want to attach it directly to sin. That's what we want re repentance to be about. But what I'm suggesting is that we have removed 
Godly repentance is following Jesus. That's actually the repentance. That's what I'm proposing to you. Godly repentance is following Jesus. That's what's got to change. Godly confession is realizing the, the, the depravity of my heart. The mess that I am in without him. And I need to confess that before him. But godly repentance is me turning from that life and now taking him as my rabbi and following him. So you can come to me and you can say, hey, what do you think about this situation? Pastor, what do you think I should do here? And I can take the word of God and I can give it to you and you can do with it what you will. This happens all the time. But if that word isn't what you want to hear, unless you repent, you'll never do it. Everybody say amen. Maybe you didn't hear what I said. You can get all the counsel, you can take the word of God, you can read it, but if this word doesn't line up with what you already feel, unless you're willing to change, nothing will happen in you. And so this is the need for repentance in our lives. People quit smoking, people quit fighting, people quit adultery, people quit addiction that are in the world. They change their mind about the value of it. They realize that... That it's messing up their lives. But, but this is not the repentance of following Christ. And churches are full of people then. Think about this. Are all those things I just mentioned, are they sinful? Yes. They're all works of darkness. But you can repent of some of those things and still never be a follower of Jesus. And churches today are full of people who have repented of their sins... And are not following Jesus as their rabbi. Do you understand what I'm trying to say now? You got some sinners who Jesus says, boys, come follow me. Doesn't even talk to them about repentance. Because repentance isn't a word that you need to know. It's a heart change. And these sinners start following him. And he begins to work in them and change them. And now today... We got a bunch of people who we are telling, you need to repent of your sin. Stop sinning. Repent of it. But we never attach to them that they must follow Jesus or it's irrelevant. If you repent of your sin and Jesus is not your rabbi, it is irrelevant. Say amen. Because this is not about sin. Yeah, he's here to save us, save us from our sin. Our disobedience to him. He's here to save us from that. He's willing to forgive us of that. He's, he's here to help us and change us and redirect us and make us new creations. But there's people all over this nation in all kinds of denominations and churches that are going to split hell wide open because we have badgered them and guilted them and played on their emotions until they felt bad for their sins and they may have even called it quits to a whole lot of sinning, as Quint Kenny Henson once said. But let me make this point. If it is possible, just have to go out on a limb here, not making a theological statement. But if it is possible for you to stop sinning, let's just suppose for a second that it is possible for you to stop sinning separate from Jesus. You stop sinning right now. Never walk in sin again from now 
for the rest of your life. But if you do not have Jesus in your life as your rabbi, that amounts to nothing. The first problem is nothing can wash away my sin but the blood of Jesus. That's my first problem. i got to get rid of the sin I've already done. Well, that's where everybody has stopped. We've said, repent, and when you repent, then God washes you clean. But the scripture does not say that. The scripture says everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord is going to be saved. It doesn't mention repentance. Because this cannot be separated. What I just said is impossible. You cannot separate cleansing and salvation and repentance from relationship and following Jesus as your Lord. There is no segmentation in which this works. But we have done this. We've presented an opportunity, a, a, a world, a, a theological view where this does work. Where we cannot follow Jesus and still ask him to forgive us of our sins. Where we cannot do anything he says and still believe that we are right and on our way to heaven. And we're not even worried about him. Singing about mansions, singing about streets of gold, can't wait to get there to see my family. I hear all of these songs and nobody wants to talk about Jesus. The only one I'm looking forward to in heaven is him. If we get there and he's not there, then I, I figure I must have missed it. I'm in the wrong spot. I love you. I love my wife. I love my children. But I'm not going to heaven to see them. I'm going to spend my eternity with my Lord. Whatever that looks like, I don't know. I'll be rejoicing in his presence. And, and if there's relationships with people there, great. I don't know. I can't speak to it. But we've got to stop presenting this idea that there is something else. There is an opportunity outside of following him. Repentance is worthless if we do not surrender to the will of the Lord. So if we can make Jesus visible then in the hearts and minds of those around us, we give them something much better than repentance. I've said this before and I, I don't mean to speak poorly of the man because he may be a great man. But there's a guy who for years, um, Kirk Cameron and, and Ray Comfort would go on the streets and they would preach. Like I said, they, they may, may be great godly men, but I, I have a, a problem with this type of, of uh, conversion. They would go out and they would say, listen, um, have you ever lied? Have you ever cheated? Have you ever lusted? Have you ever uh, whatever? And they would be talking to sinners and those people would say, well, yes, okay, well, you're a sinner and you need to be saved from that sin. So can we pray with you? Will you pray, Jesus, forgive me of sin? The problem is, we never make him visible. And really, salvation is about seeing him and following him. I don't believe there's any word that you need to say. I don't believe there's any specific method in which you come into the kingdom. I don't believe there's a specific uh, magic uh, potion, there's no, there's no uh, chant that we need to say, there's nothing that gets us in the door by the words of our mouth or the action of our life, not baptism, not specific words over us, 
not incantations, not praying specific prayers. There is no such thing as a sinner's prayer. What it turns into is this for every one of us today. Jesus is saying to you and to I, come follow me. And the question that you must answer right now is will you? It's going to require repentance. You're going to have to change how you think about things. So how many would raise your hand and say, I will. Raise your hand up high. Say, I will. Okay. What about tomorrow? What about tomorrow? Because we wake up tomorrow and now I'm confronted as God begins to work things out of my life. And God's still dealing with, with all these things. And we can find Peter now, three and a half years later. He has denied the Lord. He swore an oath that he does not know him and used vile language to confirm it. And now he finds himself weeping, broken bitterly by where he's at, feeling as though he's disqualified from even being able to. And yet God is faithful there. And the answer, he goes to Peter. Jesus goes to comfort him directly. And he says, listen, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Then I need you to do what I'm telling you to do. That's going to look different. That's not going to be the same for me after all of these years of serving the Lord that it is for a young person who's just come to Christ. That's going to look different. Hopefully I've got some things out of me after 25, well, it'll be more than that now, uh, almost uh, 28 years. Hopefully I've got some things out of me that maybe you might still be working with. But the question for us is this. Am I willing to follow him? And am I willing, him to follow, am I willing to follow him tomorrow? And am I willing to follow him the next day. Because the one who desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. Daily. And this is the question for each of our lives. This is what I want to encourage you with. When you begin to, trying to possess the land and knock down giants and tear down walls, we don't need to get people to repent of Trinitarianism. We don't need to get people to repent of being holiness. That offends some of us, that people would look at us and say, hey, you're not holy because you're not wearing a tie and you've got a beard and you wear pants as a woman and you've got open-toed shoes, which all the women in the church pretty much today are going to hell. That offends me. Does it offend you that somebody would think that about you? Yeah, it does. So I need to get them to repent. No, what I need to do is reveal Jesus to them. And if they follow him, he will take care of every bit of what he needs to take care of in their life. And that's what I want to encourage you with. I hope that you'll rethink repentance. Rethink about it. Amen? Pastor, why don't you come and close us?